This podcast is made possible by your support and your donations. Thank you. And by the purchase of my book called Everyday Buddhism, Real Life Buddhist Teachings and Practices for Real Change. I will post an affiliate link to the book on Amazon in the show notes. And if you've already read it, please take a minute to rate and review and also consider purchasing it again for a friend or family member as a gift. Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to episode 98 of Everyday Buddhism, Making Everyday Better. What a delight it is to have James Cruz joining me for a conversation about the book, The Wonder of Small Things, Poems of Peace and Renewal, which he edited. James is the author of the essay collection, Kindness Will Save the World, and editor of several best-selling poetry anthologies, including The Wonder of Small Things, Healing the Divide, The Path to Kindness, and How to Love the World, which has over 100,000 copies in print. James has been featured in NPR's Morning Edition and in People Magazine, the Boston Globe, the New York Times Magazine, the Sun Magazine, and the Washington Post. He is the author of four prize-winning books of poetry, and his poems have appeared in Plowshares, The New Republic, and other journals. Being held and awed by the poems in the book, This Wonder of Small Things, was a special gift for me. But being able to talk with James about the poems, about poetry in general, and to hear him read a few from the book was an even bigger gift. As you will no doubt hear, James is a gentle soul whose conversation about poetry, spirituality, and about life, is healing. His words, and the tender way he speaks them, is a balm for our painful and anxious times. Among other things, we talked about how we turn to poetry during difficult times like these, precisely because, as James expresses it, quote, poems are such small, but spacious containers that hold so much with just a few powerful sensory details, unquote. And he says, quote, poetry heals because it is so embodied, unquote. And about poetry as spiritual practice, because it focuses us on a non-conceptual awareness of the world around us, as it is now, and about poetry, how poetry makes the ordinary become the extraordinary, 
and how poets do what they do with language, incorporating surprises and opposing feelings and ideas to stop and make us reflect and feel. How poetry helps us transcend dualistic thinking by holding opposing ideas simultaneously and playing with how they interact. And how poetry creates connection and compassion by sharing the feelings and the experiences of others and of all things, including trees, rocks, and even fences. Or, as James expressed it, so many poems have little window moments that we can look through into our own experience. Take some time to ease into this episode. I promise you will be soothed and come away craving more poetry in your life, even if you've never appreciated it before. The conversation starts now. Hello, James Cruz. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Hi, Wendy. Thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, and also, I got to say, thank you for escorting me into the deeper connection to poetry um, that I've had off and on my whole life. But, you know, sometimes you get off of it and you don't do it. And I always forget how, what a, a, a first of all, it's a spiritual practice. It's a wonderful spiritual journey. And it heals me, especially during these dark times. Um you know, I've had your book, which, you know, nobody can see because this is not a video podcast, but it's mo the most beautiful little book. <laughs> and I take this book. As, you see how many poems I almost wanted you to read, James, yes. but we, we don't have <laughs> I had, I had to limit it down. But he's going to read some poetry for us later on. But so I've had the book as a constant companion um, from room to room. Um, and, and I pick it up once in a while, just so that I can, you know, pause and reflect and, and find new things to think about and discover and get myself out of my little conceptual story spinning in my head. And it's just wonderful. And, and I wanted to say that, that uh, it's been, I'm going to use a quote from a, a review I found from a reader on Amazon. Um, and I, I think this says it all. It's an instant zap of serotonin for those of us needing a reminder about the awe inspiring things happening, happening around us every day. Um, I love that quote. Yeah. And I, that's how it feels to me. Um, I think poetry does that anyway, but this 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 compilation is just just great and it's a lot of nature and I love nature and so it's just a wonderful thing. But speaking of dark times, I hate to start here, but mm -hmm. why we might as well. It's the elephant in the room, I think, on a lot of these things. So let's just look at it. Um, I know you from reading more about you after I got to know you um, through your poetry, have had a personal dark times recently due to loss. And you don't have to get into that, but I know we've all suffered through our own personal losses, but we've also suffered through cultural and group and global losses in the last few years that have been 
really hard, I think, for most people um, to find their way out of, to find hope, to find awe, to find joy, to find all those things that really poetry can give us mm-hmm. or that zap of serotonin, if you will. <laughs> um, so, the you know, with with the climate change and the pandemic and now the wars and all the political, racial and ethnic divisiveness and oh, on and on and on. <laughs> Can you, can you, as a poet and as an editor of poetry, can you speak to how poetry heals us? Hmm. Yeah, well, thank you, Wendy, for um, all that you've said so far and, and for for bringing me into this space with you. I I think that's a big question because um, because it is true that poetry can heal us. and And I have often wondered why especially during these past few years of global challenge and also personal challenge. Um, last year, I lost both of my grandmothers, my my dear mother, who died very suddenly at the age of 64. Oh. And, um, and I turned, you know, even though I, I'm a poet and I'm an editor of poetry, I've put out several anthologies. Once again, I found myself just needing and craving poetry at that time. And I think it's because poetry is so embodied. And the poems that I really love, that I included in this new book, um, they are so physical and they're so filled with sensory details, details like you said about nature, this planet, this aching, hurting planet that we're living on together, trying to save together. And, um, And I think we just, in these times when we're often communicating via screen or um, feeling disconnected or somewhat isolated from each other. Um, We need ways to reconnect with our senses and also with our sense of wonder, awe, joy, kindness, hope, all of these qualities. You know, I feel like they're all qualities that are trying to get at the same essential ingredient, which really is just a deeper presence and connection to each other and to our bodies and to the earth. Yeah, I think the thing that you said here that really stopped me, what you just said, is that longing to be closer to each other and embodied. I know I've gone through some, uh, I've gone through trauma, as a lot of my podcast listeners uh know in the past few years that the pandemic sort of triggered past traumas that I honestly didn't even know I had and I'm 70 years old so um and one of the things that I found that has been the most healing in um dealing with trauma or any and in your case like loss and a lot of us have had suffered loss during these past few years is the um, the sense of embodiment you know, I we've we we really lost touch with that. I think is in and it's and it's and it's the sense of embodiment, like you said, with the earth, with nature, and with each other. You know, the we haven't hugged, you know, for so long, and and you know, it used to be. You know, I like personally, you know, I meet up with my best friend every month, and we give big hat hugs and 
you know, that's kind of stopped happening and we're trying to get it back as much as we can. I have an autoimmune disease, so I can't go to places a lot if there's COVID activity and so forth. So it's like hugging is so, so important and poetry can hug you. Um, definitely. And, and so I, that was one thing that maybe I missed is that, yeah, about, I mean, I knew about the awe and the wonder and the joy and the nature, but just that embodiment feeling is like, and being together and wow, poetry does bring you to, they don't, it doesn't just bring you together. When I read a poem, I feel who that person is. We don't know how we connect because we may not all connect the same way to the same poem. It brings up different memories for different people or different whatever, but all of a sudden you are connected to that, that poet. So thank you for sharing that because I think that's really an important part of it. Yeah. Well, I love what you're saying too, Wendy, about, um, I've never heard it put that way. The poetry can hug you. And it's like, yes, of course it can. (laughs) That's what it does. It embraces you. I think in part because the best poems are embracing the moment, right as it is, you know, and so many of our moments include joy and sorrow. They include the wonder and awe, but they also include the grief you know, the larger grief of the world and what's happening right now, the personal griefs that often coexist. And I think, you know, you also got at so many of what, so many things that we are facing in terms of our own kind of personal challenges, traumas being triggered by what's happening in the world, whether it's the pandemic or war. You know, I know so many people who have had similar experiences of those past traumas or or past buried grief just rising to the surface. And I think that poetry helps with that because there's this sense that even in something that tends to be pretty small and condensed, like, oh, poetry can hold this with me. You know, I almost get emotional talking about it. No, me too. (laughs) Because it does. It it, It is this larger container that can hold both the personal and the global and that can hold the traumatic and those little moments of joy and wonder and awe that help us to build the resilience. You know, this is not just sort of like airy talk about what poetry can do. (laughs) Science has proven that these, these moments of awe especially just everyday moments. We're not talking about standing at the Grand Canyon or looking up at this giant waterfall or traveling to another country. We're talking about stepping out in the backyard and really looking at what's there, watching, you know, as one of the poems in this book talks about watching this squirrel after someone has had chemo, you know, and and it's, it's just like you come alive after these difficult experiences, because you've sort of seen what the other side looks like. And this, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. And I think that's really kind of the thesis of so many of these poems. And so much of poetry in general, but especially these in The Wonder of Small Things, the, the poems are really underpinned by difficulty and sorrow in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and that is, it's the, there's a, I don't know if it's, you know, 
particularly Buddhist or specifically or only Buddhist, but there's a saying about having a strong back and a soft front. It's the way it's the way to approach the duality that we face and try to merge it into a non-dual acceptance of both. And in other words, we can live with the coexistence of deep sorrow, deep pain and wonder at small things you know you you referenced the 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 squirrel um and i remember that poem but i and i also remember what it reminded me of i i remember it was like the first week after the complete shutdown uh in the pandemic in march of 2020 and i remember sitting in our three season room and you know starting to get warm a little bit warm and it was so warm enough that you could keep the window open a little because I love to hear the sound of the trees, even if it's a little cold or whatever, and the birds. And so, and everything was shut down, you know? So there was, I didn't hear cars going up and down the street and I didn't hear the freeway around the corner. And, but I just was sitting there and all the, the squirrels and the birds were, you know, actively feeding and, like they do in early spring. Um, And there was such a hubbub. And I remember writing down in my journal, I was writing in my journal and I remember writing down in the journal that the, the, the birds don't know there's a pandemic. (laughs) They just, and that just changed me for the whole, maybe probably not a week, but maybe at least a day. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, it changes you for a moment. I think that's, it's those small realizations, those, those insights, revelations that, that really, you know, they may not like stick with us in a conscious way. um, Mm -hmm. But I do think they change our DNA little by little, you know, it's just like this little switch. And I think that's what poems can do. It's, it just takes something that is typically very ordinary, very everyday, and just shifts it a little bit. So you see it differently. So you see your whole life differently in a way. Yes, you do. It's, it, it is. It was like, it was such a joyous moment. And a moment yeah. when I was like, you know, like all of us were not knowing what the next day was going to bring or how, how we were going to get through this or even what the heck it was. You know, and I said, well, the birds are, you know, just doing what they always do. So well, I'm good here. So (laughs) (laughs) on the theme of healing, I subscribe to your weekly email, the weekly pause, and all my listeners should too. I'll put the details in the show notes, by the way. Um, And it's one of the few emails I stop and read right away. I get a ton of emails because of the podcast and the saga and it's like, you know, blah, 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 you know, and every other (laughs) kind of spammy email. And, um, and, but this is, I have a few that I always just stop and read. Yours is one of them. Um, And I'm always glad I did, even if I'm like thinking I have no time and I really can't get into it right now. And maybe it'll make me cry. And that's probably not a good thing because I got (laughs) to, you know, so, but I'm always glad I did it. And so it forces me to stop, you know, get out of my head, reflect. It's that my favorite kind of meditation where you could, you're thinking of something, but you're, you're going way, way deeper. And if you don't mind, I'd like to share the weekly pause from this past Friday, November 10th. Sure. 
And but I would like you to read the poem at the end. I'll read the intro. But your essays are beautiful too. Okay, this is this is James. More than ever, perhaps, we see that we have a choice to bless or curse, to find joy or grieve. I try to remember the two can occur simultaneously so that we can embrace the pleasures that come to us, even as we curse the suffering in other parts of the world and in other parts of our life. We can grieve our losses and the larger losses of the human family, even as we welcome the abundance of light on a sunny day, shining through bare trees. I have always felt that we turn, po turn to poetry during difficult times like these precisely because poems are such small but spacious containers that hold so much with just a few powerful sensory details. On the day I describe here, I was walking on a trail in the woods near our house, cursing my inability to help those suffering through war and to help myself suffering through the pain of shingles, poor James. But then the sun suddenly came out, spilling across the forest floor, the very color of clover honey, and I thought, because sorrow and joy rise up in us together, we sometimes get to choose which one we allow to guide this one day, this one life we've been given. Now you have the poem here, and I forgot to tell you I wanted you to read this poem. Do you do you have it there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Choices. You can grieve the leaves stripped from the maple, all that empty space between bare branches, or you can bless the abundance of light shining through, buffing the pine boards of the floor until they turn the color of clover honey. You can mourn the cone flowers now shriveled and brown, say the whole world's gone to ruin, or you can stand at the window watching the lively yellow blossom of a goldfinch feasting on each crown of seeds, sending more than a few back home down into the open ground, which knows how to receive them. Just beautiful. Just absolutely beautiful. And at the end of each one of his weekly pauses, and also in the book, he has this at certain areas of the sections of the book, he invites uh, writing and reflection. Um, and it's wonderful. If you're a journal writer, if you're a a hack poet like myself, if you're a, if you just want to reflect, he, he, he offers wonderful reflections. Um, and he, in this one, he said, write about a time it occurred to you that you have a choice between grief and abundance, resistance and joy. How did it feel to be torn between these two co-arising emotions? And then he's, and he does this in the book as well. You might begin in the same spirit as my poem here, writing, you can grieve with the idea that there's always a choice in what we allow to lead us forward. I just love those reflections because if you are stumped to write in your journal, if you are, you know, or if you just want to reflect on this sort of thing, it, it, you really do, I think, capture that spirit. And I loved in the, in the book, you do this and it, you always 
there's always a hook to one of the poems and mm -hmm. and that that's just wonderful because it's usually i've read the poem and i thought oh that's what's wonderful and then you reflect on it it's like oh that that's awesome so um I wondered about those little hooks or those little reflections. Um, I know you have a practice group or a course, again, which I will put in the show notes. Um, I wondered if you got feedback, if you get feedback about these reflections, like people mm -hmm. said, you know, because I'm sure some people want to say, wow, that really helped me or something. Have you gotten audience feedback, reader feedback? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I, I really do see each poem as an invitation to reflect and, you know, that, that so many poems have these little window moments that we can kind of look through into our own experience. I think that's what poetry wants us to do too. It wants us to look at someone else's specific experience. And then, you know, that, that can be enough sometimes, but it's great to turn it around and say, well, how do I relate to that? What, a, what, when have I had an experience that's similar to that? Um, people do respond to my weekly emails. They're they're able to do that, and I see those responses. And I always love to see what people did. If they often they're too shy to share what they wrote, but mm. they will say, "Oh, I got something from this this morning." Um, in my last anthology, there was a poem of mine, self care, and then a, an invitation to reflect on the practice of self care. And uh, someone I had never met sent me the poem that he wrote from that. And I ended up including that in this current book because it felt to be about wonder and really taking that time. Um, the poem just really blew me away. And so that doesn't happen very often, but I was just so, so happy that my poem could have a small part in creating this poem that is really about returning to the world um, after thinking like, you know, I'm not sure if I can hold on, you know, I'm not sure yeah. if I can keep going. And he realized like, oh, there's, there's still so much to live for. Oh, that's, that's, a, oh, I didn't even expect a wonderful story like that. That's just, <laughs> this is perfect. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've always loved reading and writing poetry. Like I said, I consider myself a hack poet. Um, but writing is a wonderful practice, you know, in being present to life as it is. And to, um, you know, it's one thing to read poetry if you try to write it or try to write a even a reflection, you know, even if you're not trying to craft a poem, but writing a reflection like that spun off of one of these poems. It's, it's like, when you have to write something, when you're trying to write something, you have to bring yourself into this sense of non-conceptual awareness. You can't yeah. think it out. You know, you can't like, okay, I'm going to write a poem about this using these <laughs> words. That'll never work. It can't work. But if you have to kind of go into that, just that sense of awareness, and then you will find that thing that leads with that first line just by watching that red squirrel jump on my house right now, you, you, then you'll find that. Um, and it's it, it can also take you into a deep exploration of self and you can discover something that you hadn't put together with something else before. Yeah. And see, it's in these ways that, and here I'm going to tie it to my everyday Buddhism audience, because not 
I'm thinking maybe not everyone is a admirer of poetry, um, but maybe the, I don't know. Well, they should be. <laughs> They're going to be now. They're going to be. That's now. right. <laughs> we're going to we're going to make it happen. So, but in all those ways, for me, poetry is as deep of a Buddhist spiritual practice or just a spiritual practice than any I have ever engaged in, and. I think it's very Buddhist as well as contemplative Christian. I think it's because yeah. it's contemplative. Um, and I think it is very undervalued as a spiritual practice. It's mm -hmm. rarely talked about as a spiritual practice. You have talked about it as a spiritual practice and some of the things I see that you write. Um, but maybe it's because I think a lot of people consider it so Ooh, how should I? Literary. You, you, uh -huh. you, you know what I mean? <laughs> and out of touch with the everyday. And I think people, you know, they had to read Beowulf in eighth grade, but then they didn't know that poetry could be like this now. You know, they didn't. They, you see what I'm saying? They don't. I, do, I think that's yeah. what happens. And it's, I know you don't feel it's out of touch with the everyday. I know you because it's all about the everyday. Can you talk more about that? Because it's everyday Buddhism. I'm talking about it as a spiritual practice. And to me, it is about the everyday. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a phrase that I use in um, the, I think it's the previous anthology, The Path to Kindness. Um, there's a poem about a woman who's folding her family's clothes and, you know, she's imagining them wearing them and they're still warm from the dryer. It's again, one of these really physical poems and it has a, an invitation, a writing prompt that comes with it. And I called it the sacred every day oh, because that's great. like who really loves folding laundry or doing <laughs> dishes or right. sweeping the floors? I mean, maybe some people out there do, but it's not my favorite thing. Um, but I think when we can really go a little deeper and pay more attention and see, you know, a little more deeply, then the act becomes sacred. You know, I think anything we give our attention to becomes more yeah. sacred as a result. Right. Um, and so I definitely see it that way. I do see writing as a form or, you know, part of spiritual practice. I think it's just another one of those tools in the tool belt that we have for connecting with a, a contemplative life or the life of the spirit and also with processing trauma, pain, and grief that can sometimes block us from having access to, yeah. you know, the larger spiritual life that and that connection that we're all seeking. And so I think for me, my mindfulness meditation practice is very tied to writing practice. And it's I'm a writer, but it's hard to put it into words exactly. Um, I think it's it's just partly what you were saying, um, this idea of having, you know, accessing non-conceptual awareness and really that's why we call it a writing practice, like just <laughs> practice doing that. And the way I usually frame it is it is sort of like meditation. When I sit on the cushion, I have no idea what's going to arise right. or what's going to come up. And I try to note that, do my best to welcome it. There may be some resistance. Um, and it's it's it happens now that I do the same thing when I'm writing. So what, what I set out with when I'm maybe working on a poem is by the time I get to the end, 
completely different from yeah. any I don't even try to guess any anymore Wendy like <laughs> I just I just allow myself to be surprised and now even more than creating something that can be shared that can be published I'm creating something so that I can be surprised wow yeah yeah and and I think that's what I'm doing also with the anthologies so gathering other people's work that has surprised me somehow that that allows me to feel held and embraced um allows me to see the the everyday as sacred the ordinary as sacred but also that really surprises me even if it's in a small way that's the thing i i that's what i love about poetry i think i mentioned this to you in a, a previous email we shared is that that that's how um poems remind me of koans because mm. koans have surprises that's the whole point of a koan is a surprise it's a surprise to knock you out of your conceptual mind and say gee i don't know i, I and then to work with that a poem can do that too in the same way because it, it 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 has all that and i want to talk a little bit about that um and and pardon me while I explore a few of the connections I found between Buddhism and poetry. I'm going to just list off a few because I want my writer uh, listeners to 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 hear this about poetry and think of it as a spiritual practice. But after I share a few of these things, it won't take too long. I'd love you to riff off that on your as as a poet. Okay, um, for me as a Buddhist practitioner, a Buddhist teacher, poetry offers, number one, feeling awe, which to me is a sacred space. Awe is like one of my main things. Number two is a heightened and non-conceptual awareness of the world around us as it is now. Mm. Um, taking us out of tomorrow, yesterday. Also, this is this thing you just mentioned, gaps, surprises, paradoxes, metaphor, and ambiguity. The way a poet uses words and empty spaces, um, which allows a comfortable or uncomfortable, I don't know, mind. Um, mm. the, you know, sometimes it just opens all into this and it, you fall into this space that you didn't know was coming. Um, building, connecting, connection and compassion by feeling the experience of others um of all and on and feeling the experience of like in this book of like trees and rocks and, and sometimes things that people consider inanimate um it does help transcend we talked about this a little bit before touched on it help transcend dualistic thinking by holding opposing ideas simultaneously and playing with how they interact in your life and embracing the impermanence and imperfection of life helping helping us accept in a dynamic way not a resigning way um life as it is not as we wish it would be finding rest and contentment in things as they are there's a lot of times i just read a poem and just go ah you know just ah and exploring what we think feel and believe you know, it's that old, I write to find out what I think and what I'm thinking yeah. about and reading poetry out loud, which is what I'm going to ask you to do in a little bit, 
has a sacred ritual quality to it, much like chanting. And I don't know if people aren't familiar with poetry readings, they maybe don't know how poetry is read the way James read poems. There, I remember when I had a poetry mentor and we worked for a long time on people learning to read poetry their own yeah. poetry because yeah. it's a whole different thing it's very slow it you don't talk with the sort of like inflection and emphasis that you do like i'm doing now or we do in a even an essay so those are the things that i said were the key qualities as a spiritual practice can you riff off that a bit mr poet <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well you've given me a lot to work with there so I appreciate that. I, you know, I, I love everything that you listed. I, I think that's absolutely accurate. Um, what came to me was, you know, what you had said about really connecting, not just with ourselves, with others, but also with things that people might consider inanimate. And so seeing our world as alive, even when things seem static, like trees seem static sometimes. And, um, you know, rocks seem static. There's this wonderful Jane Hirschfield poem in which she's watching these deer kind of just pour through this opening in a fence. And the very end, which I, I have loved for years now, she says, I have never known such accurate envy. And you think she's talking about the deer, but she says, not of the deer to be that porous, to have such largeness pass through me. So she's talking about the fence. She's envious of the fence with the deer <laughs> pouring through. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, yes. Yeah. See, that image for me captures what it can feel like to have one of these moments that's so hard to describe and that's so hard to hold in something that is not poetry. So in one of the poems that I'll read, you know, it's me finding this sleeve of ice that's dropped off a tree branch in the middle of winter and just feeling this moment of awe, like I've never seen this before, um, you know, or it's someone hugging a tree during the pandemic because she can't hug anybody else, you know? Yeah. Um, so I just feel like it's important to emphasize that. And I think all those qualities you mentioned, it, it also feels like, you know, that sense of rest, that sense of awe, that sense of presence, these are all things that we crave. And I think that we can find them through the act of writing. And so I guess what I'm wanting to emphasize too is that to some degree, we're all hack poets, Wendy. So <laughs> it's not just you. I feel like a hack poet too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we're just we're just trying in the moment. In a way, every moment that we sit down to write is fresh and open. And there's just this great sense of possibility. And so I hope that anybody who's listening who might have a little tiny pull toward writing or who might feel like somewhat intimidated by writing or poetry will know from this book and other things that I've done that there are poems out there that are about everyday things. And I think those are the poems because they're just about the material of daily life. 
those are the poems that really give us access to spiritual practice and experience because we're out there just living our lives. And this is how we take spiritual practice with us is working with each moment exactly as it is right now. And to go back to what we said before, so many of those moments contain sorrow and joy and difficulty and wonder all at the same time. So if we can kind of connect more with the things, the people around us, I think we have more access to spiritual life in that way. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm so glad you put a bug in my listener's ear about trying to write a little something about that when they realize like there's a there's a poem in in this anthology about the dust um mm-hmm. <laughs> how the dust is always there i love that um i wrote a poem years ago um dealing with my perfectionism and i called it learning to love the dust because mm-hmm. i i i was so worried about keeping a clean house um <laughs> But then I realized, well, the dust is always there, so I should just learn to love it, you know? And that poem mm-hmm. reminded me of that. So, and then total inanimate object, but, or maybe not inanimate, because I think it might be made up of little bugs and things, but um, it's, uh, the dust is always there. And, and when you, you know, when it sparkles in the sunlight, you know, you you can either react to it by saying, oh my gosh, I got a dust, or you can just watch it sparkle in the sunlight, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> choices, yes. Yeah, cho- choices, like, yeah, like your poem. <laughs> okay, I know this might be an off-the-wall question, um, but, you know, here I have a poet in front of me, and I, I want to ask this question. Now, I think we kind of answered it some t- a little bit before, but I'm I'm wanting you to dig deeper. Is how does poetry grab us the way it does if we take the time to sink deep into a poem? To me, it's as if the poet and I sort of arrive at a mind meld. You know, the Spock mind meld. It's yeah. like a a <laughs> mind, but it's a not just a mind because it's not conceptual. It's a mind body meld. Yes. And then, you know, all of a sudden emotion will wash over me and or I see something like the way exactly the way the poet saw it in a way that I may never maybe I never lived in a place that was a prairie. And this person described a prairie and yeah. and I see it. I can completely see it. Um, and then I'm taken away, if only even for a minute for my troubles, preoccupations, pain, whatever. Um and you wrote an essay called The Wonder of Small Things that you had published on terrain.org. Mm-hmm. And um, it's an online journal. And it explained how you feel poetry works. But can you share with us a little of the magic about how it works and how, you know, this sounds stupid, but how do they, how do poets do this? <laughs> it's not stupid at all. I mean, I may spend my whole life trying to figure that out and put that into <laughs> words. Um, but I, I think it is somewhat what we've been talking about a little bit. I think that poets do it by using the everyday material of language. You know, if we speak, even if we don't read, you know, if we speak, we all have access to language. And so poets are using something that we all have access to. I feel that the 
the best poems or my favorite poems are the most accessible. And so you're right that when you read it, you're kind of going into this different voice. But the best poems for me are not necessarily written in this sort of high-minded, you know, I shall go, you know. Literary. (laughs) Exactly. I love the air quotes and the literary voice. Um, Yeah, I think they're just written in an everyday voice, in the voice that you might use when you're talking to your neighbor, that you might use when you're talking to a coworker, relative, or partner. And so I think that they they seduce us almost, you know, by that, that's kind of like, Hey, can I tell you something? It won't take very long. (laughs) And so, you know, you kind of get in. I think the difficulty for some people with poetry is that it it's moving. What I like to say it does is it moves at the pace of the soul. And so it's moving at a slower pace than you know, an online article from the New York Times or something like that. So if you're kind of used to scanning and reading and looking at texts, you might have to adjust for just a moment and say, okay, I'm going to let some of that fall away because poetry does demand that you let some things fall away. Like you said, with my weekly email, like, even though I don't think I have time, I pause (laughs) anyway. (laughs) That's right. right. And and so poetry asks you to pause anyway, slow down a little bit, and just take in what the person is saying. It's almost like, I, this is a weird thing to say, but it's almost like stepping into someone else's body for yeah. a moment. Yeah. And like, just let, come be with me in this bodily experience of watching the dust spin in the air or whatever <laughs> it is. And, and then you're kind of, brought out, you know, often gently, you know, led through the moment and then kind of brought to this other side where you've probably been surprised if the poet's done her work or their work. Um, You maybe see things a little differently. And, And I think this has all been done with, you know, probably simple everyday language, maybe a few images that are unexpected. And it also makes me think of what you were talking about earlier with that saying of the strong back and the soft front. I feel like a poem has a really strong back because the poet has given all their attention to this language, this moment, these images, but the soft front also has to be there. So the poem still has to be porous and open and vulnerable. Oh, yeah. You know, if 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 I'm going to let you into my experience, I'm going to have to be really vulnerable and really soft to do that. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing in writing poetry, and if any, or and anybody who writes in their journal or something, there's there is that there is that sort of temptation to like um, make it all logical and make it all fit yeah. together, even though something else busts through right that's yeah. very soft and very vulnerable mm-hmm. and then you and you're and you're there like being like the inter, internal editor saying no 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 i don't want to put that in there you, <laughs> you, do you know what i mean it's like i do yeah <laughs> yeah i've i've worked with a lot of people with their writing and their poetry and i remember this when when i was kind of just coming to writing and learning is you you often sit down with 
a specific idea in your mind. Mm. I try not to do this now, but it still happens um, <laughs> of like, oh, this is where it's going to go. This is where I want to end up. This is what I'm trying to say. And I think I love when that something else busts through, like you said, and it does feel like that feels sort of violent or sudden, like, <laughs> yeah. whoa, where did that come from? Exactly. What, I, what I've learned is that's the magic. That's yeah. the gold is when the something else busts through. And sometimes you don't need to justify it. You don't need to go back and say, well, I've got to like, you know, stitch all these things together to show how I got there. Yeah. You just let it be in many cases. And ah. you let it be that surprise or that, like you said, the long breath at the end of like, oh, yeah. where did that? Because the reader is saying, where did that come from? How did we get here? Yeah. You know, that's the ticket. You know, it's like you said, is like um it's it's that 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 busting through thing is to me the magic of the poem because when you you do as as a writer, you're always trying to um well, how will they know that my father's index finger was crooked? I mean, when I use that image, I'm, I might have to explain that. Or, or you, do, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. these things come and and you really, you, they just come as if someone else is speaking in your mind or something, yeah. you know? It's like it's true. V- very strange, like an alien pops out. But yeah, that was a <laughs> that was really a great, explanation of how poets do what they do um and there is a certain i have to say there is a certain weirdness about spending this time much time talking about poetry (laughs) i think it's time we experience it it's if it's okay with you i'd love to i i cued him first i i i want everyone to know that i didn't just say okay these are the four i want you to read quick find them (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I picked four from the book, which was excruciating for me. <laughs> I, well, I take that as a compliment. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, you know, because I had I had different color post-its, little post-its. Okay. All these I want to him to read, but I think we better limit it. So then I'll put a yellow on there for the ones <laughs> that we, we could probably have time for. So, um. So I'm having. I'm going to ask James to read uh, uh, some book, uh, some poems from *The Wonder of Small Things*, poems of peace and renewal. Like I said, it was nearly impossible, but I chose four, and I'm going to briefly share why I selected each one from my perspective, what they did to me, what they did for me, uh, and then if you could read and share a few words about each one after you read it from your perspective. Okay, so I'm going to start with the one you wrote, uh, uh, um, because as I hinted, for me, one of the most sacred feelings we can have is awe, and you captured it in this poem. So can you share? Yes, this is awe. It's a shiver that climbs the trellis of the spine, each tingle a bright white morning glory breaking into blossom beneath the skin. It can happen anywhere, anytime, even finding this sleeve of ice worn by a branch all morning, now fallen on a bed of snow. You can choose to pause, pick it up, 
hold the cold thing in your hand or not. Few tell us that wonder and awe are decisions we make daily, hourly, minute by minute, in the tiny offices of the heart, tilting the head to look up at every tree turned into a chandelier by light striking the ice in just the right way. And that poem, you know, I almost feel like that poem was gifted to me. You know, it's you have certain poems that you feel like, it's like you described, Wendy, like someone else is speaking in your <laughs> mind and you are taking dictation, maybe making a few changes here and there. Um, but I actually remember that came after uh, a large ice storm we had here in Vermont. I think it was not last winter, but the winter before. And um, it knocked out the power. So it was without power, without internet, which was probably why the poem was born in the first place. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I had the space to just yeah. sit down and write <laughs> without distraction. Um, and yeah, it, it's just, to me, everything about that poem was really surprising. You know, the the t- each tingle of awe being like a, a bright white morning glory breaking into blossom, climbing the trellis of the spine. I'm like, where did these images come from? I have never thought of the spine as a trellis. That's so strange. <laughs> so perfect, but it, though. But it feels right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I love the the uh, small offices in the heart. That yeah. that was the most su- shocking, surprising little. Everything was so yeah. beautiful. And then there were those small offices in the heart. <laughs> <laughs> but I got where you were going there. I mean, yeah. or where whoever was speaking to you was going. <laughs> it was wonderful. Yeah. The next you. one I'd like you to read is titled Sorrow is Not My Name. And this is sort of in the theme of the 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 sorrow and and in the dark times we were sharing um and this is by ross gay and and this one reminds me to look around at all the sweet and wonderful things around us that are not sorrow pain or worries and the word sweet was used in that poem and i that's one i think that that's one of the things that got me so James, you're up. (laughs) Absolutely. So this is Sorrow Is Not My Name by Ross Gay. And it's written after Gwendolyn Brooks, who has a poem of the same name. No matter the pull toward brink, no matter the florid deep sleep awaits, there is a time for everything. Look, just this morning a vulture nodded his red grizzled head at me. And I looked at him, admiring the sickle of his beak. Then the wind kicked up, and after arranging that good suit of feathers, he up and took off, just like that. And to boot, there are on this planet alone something like two million naturally occurring sweet things, some with names so generous as to kick the steel from my knees. Agave, persimmon, stickball, the purple okra I bought for two bucks at the market. Think of that. The long night, the skeleton in the mirror, the man behind me on the bus taking notes. Yeah, yeah. 
But look, my niece is running through a field calling my name. My neighbor sings like an angel, and at the end of my block is a basketball court. I remember my colors green. I'm spring. Oh, gosh, that yeah. thing is amazing. <laughs> surprise after surprise after surprise. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. And I think, you know, as I was reading it this time, I, I love reading this poem out loud, even though I can't quite capture it the way Ross does his own work. Um, I was really struck by the title, Sorrow is Not My Name. So even if I might be in sorrow or feeling sorrow, or even though, you know, he has all these references toward death, the vulture, vulture. the sickle, the skeleton in the mirror, like we all live with this every day, but it's not who we are. It's not our name. It's not necessarily the defining feature of being human is that, you know, death and disaster and difficulty might await us. That it is, I think in his argument, it's about these sweet things, two million naturally occurring, you know, (laughs) and these, you know, he's talking about, um, growing things but then he's also talking about his niece running through a field the neighbor singing like an angel the basketball court because he loves playing basketball these two are the sweet things that are naturally occurring in our lives yeah yeah and you know there were so many images there that reminded me of my life and i think that's the thing about poetry too is when there's a there's a lot of different images that people have. You may share many of those, like the basketball court did it to me. I grew up with a basketball court. I had three brothers. We nice. had a basketball court. So that I have all these memories around that sound constantly that mm. of the basketball hitting the court all summer long and my brothers playing with their friends. And, you know, it's like it and then it takes you there. And that's a sweet thing. Right. That's mm. a sweet Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Even with just a phrase, basketball court, and then you're instantly back in your childhood. Like you said, there's nothing like the sound of a basketball on concrete or pavement like that. That is just so visceral. It is. It is. It's definitely true. All right. Now the next two. Um, and, you know, this is, I guess, my little selfish journey. So, you know, I'm it's so wonderful to have a poet <laughs> here to read my little selfish journey. Um, the next two I picked transported me again back to my childhood. These things, they happen. You can't help it, right? And it starts mm-hmm. with Hugging the Tree by, I don't know, I'm not sure how to pronounce the name. It's Zena Azam. Uh, close, Zena Azam. Yeah, yeah. I, close. Um, this, this poem reminded me of how I used to sit for hours leaning against one of the few scraggly trees in my childhood small town yard. We lived next to a bank. But it was a small town. We like maybe a thousand people lived there, maybe or something. But there was a bank. But that bank was right next to our house yeah. in this small town on Main Street. And they had a little drive-through window. And um, I would sit though next to that tree all for hours as a child, dreaming, watching ants, looking at birds. And then I always remember the background sounds of a muffled voice of a teller talking through a distorted speaker. Now, I don't know 
uh, that hugging that tree, I got it because of the pit. I mean, I understand where they were going, but that's where I went. So that's why I chose it. I love it. I love it. Well, you're illustrating so well what we've been talking about, which is, you know, you might read a poem that's so specific and then it instantly transports you to your own experience. So I love that that, that happened with this poem. Yeah, so this is Zaina Azam, who is a Palestinian-American poet, and this is Hugging the Tree. It was neither part of a protest nor a statement to the world. I simply put my arms around a tall oak and stood in embrace, our bodies juxtaposed. There was no swaying, her trunk solid and true felt like an ancestor, a pillar thick with years. Her bark scratched my skin if I moved, so I stayed still. It was a time to be calm and reflect on our presence together, to look up to the sky and fathom the height of my partner, to inhale the earthy scent to arc my grateful arms around this strong matriarch and whisper into the wood my wordless secret. I have not hugged anyone for months, my dear tree. Yeah, that's just, oh. you cry. I, 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 yeah. It's hard not to cry on that one. But, um, yeah. and I think we can all understand. I, I don't, I don't think I, know anyone who hasn't hugged a tree and actually i don't think i would want to know anyone no. who hasn't hugged a tree <laughs> oh it's true if you're That's not willing terrible. to hug a tree <laughs> yeah. or see it as a living being i i don't know if i can really connect with you or really talk to you on a deeper level <laughs> yeah right? it's really when you first introduce somebody do you hug trees okay forget it we're out yeah mm -hmm. my partner um my wife hugs trees all the time way more than me i'm and, and she always walks barefoot always no matter what even if it's dangerous and i'm like Jeez. <laughs> you know i, I a I lot of times that. say i'm not in the mood to go to the hospital can you please put some crocs <laughs> on or something uh, <laughs> yeah it's, so, it, it takes a long time to wait at the er these days so <laughs> that, <laughs> let's that's not right. do that yeah, but but I, you know, I, I think mostly it's just in our yard, you know, we yeah. have a big yard, but, you know, I, half the time I look out and she's always hugging a tree. So it's like, mm. uh, I guess that's why I, we're married. She hugs trees. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so the last one, which is definitely not least, I added, I, I, I made this the last one on purpose. Yeah. Um, it's called Reverence. Um, and it's by Julie Cadwallader, wow, what a name, Stubb, which is a tribute to the childhood delight of summer and how to this day, oh, this is my tribute, the sound of cicadas instills deep reverence in me, a worship of, her, this is a quote from the poem, the utter certainty of the goodness of life, as the poet writes. I Cicadas do that to me. They're like a it's like a it's like a spiritual chant. It's like the hum of Tibetan monks. It's like the when I hear cicada, some people don't like that sound. They it's <laughs> loud and and it's like yeah. really get into it. It's lovely, you know. It's just that's right. It's just lovely. So reverence. Reverence by Julie Cadwallader Staub. 
The air vibrated with the sound of cicadas on those hot Missouri nights after sundown when the grown-ups gathered on the wide back lawn, sank into their slung back canvas chairs, tall glasses of iced tea beating in the heat. And we sisters chased fireflies, reaching for them in the dark, admiring their compact black bodies, their orange stripes and seeking antennas as they crawled to our fingertips and clicked open into the night air. In all the days and years that have followed, I don't know that I've ever experienced that same utter certainty of the goodness of life that was as palpable as the sound of the cicadas on those nights. My sisters running around with me in the dark, the murmur of the grown-ups' voices, the way reverence mixes with amazement to see such a small body emit so much light. Just wonderful. Yeah. And I, we don't even have fireflies around anymore. Yeah, they are rare. We do have them in Vermont, um, but it's nothing like, I actually grew up in Missouri, so that's why I kind of oh, connected oh, with really? this poem. Yeah, just the very hot nights, and my brother and I would run around chasing the fireflies that you just don't see very much there anymore. Um, yeah, and I, I love that idea of the reverence it's this sacred sort of prayerful attention that that's mixed with amazement, like just pure awe, amazement. And it, it's something that we feel so effortlessly as, as children, like you said, when you were introducing it. Um, and it, it feels like it's our, it becomes our work then later in life to reclaim that you yes. know reverence and amazement that we still have access to but that we kind of lose touch with i think because the muscle doesn't get as much exercise as it did <laughs> when we were kids yeah you know? yeah and it's just like just the line about running around in the dark you know it's like yeah. do we ever run around in the dark anymore i mean it's i walk true. around in the dark but i don't yeah. run around in the dark. Yeah, yeah it's just wonderful well you know there's I could talk to you for days. I just love this and I could listen to you read, but I don't want to take too much more of your time. And like I said, I'll post the links to all of these things. Um, but before we close, is there anything else you would like to mention that I didn't mention or didn't lead you to? No, I mean, I, I really do think that we've touched on everything. This has been a lovely, sacred conversation. I do feel like you experience and see the world as a poet with a poet soul you know maybe that's the buddhist in you um <laughs> but i i think there's something else to that and i i think that's something else that we all have access to that you know it's not just poets who can see like this or write like this right. i i truly because i've worked with hundreds of people over the years I have seen that people who don't think they have access to that, who don't think they can write, they end up writing things that just amaze me, that really blow me away. And I think it's just having the right examples, having, you know, this whole group of poems in this book that show you there are so many ways to feel that mix of the reverence and the amazement 
And like we were saying, it happens in, in these really everyday moments. Yes. And you have to trust that that thing that burst out of your head while you're writing because yes. it will come if you keep doing it. Yeah. It's a practice. It will come, right? Mm-hmm. So again, it was so wonderful to talk to you. Uh, um, thanks again for being here. Um, I know what you shared today will help inspire others to read more poetry, try their hand at writing poetry, and just dip their toes into the healing that poetry offers. It's just wonderful thing. So thank you so much, James. Well, thank you, Wendy. I so appreciate it. That's it for this episode. Now, don't you feel better? I told you you would. But now it's, as usual, some announcements. As I talked about in the last podcast, we recently began a new study in the Everyday Sangha where you can join me and others in our private donation-supported sangha that meets virtually via Zoom every other week on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. The sangha is studying the Pure Land Sutras with the book Great Faith, Great Wisdom, Practice and Awakening in the Pure Land Sutras of Mahayana Buddhism by Ratnaguna. Our meetings consist of a service first, including traditional recitations and other invocations like refuge and bodhisattva vows, etc. We do some chanting and have a short five-minute meditation period. The service introduces more ritual and liturgy into the structure of our meeting, much like you would find at a non-virtual Buddhist temple, church, or sangha. It includes a Dharma talk by one of the practice leaders or myself, and possibly a Dharma glimpse by one of our Sangha members. After the service, we then open it up to discussion of the current book study or of anything that was inspired by one of the Dharma talks or by something one of our Sangha members glimpsed in their life. Consider joining the Sangha at this time to be a part of the relatively new sutra study and a part of our practice and a part of a very warm and welcoming Sangha community. You can learn more about the Sangha by viewing the latest bonus YouTube podcast where me, Bradley Janayo-sensei, and Terry Zenkai-Hoskin, our practice leaders, talk about what the Sangha and what everyday Buddhism is all about. You can also support this podcast and the other activities of Everyday Buddhism by becoming a community member for $5 a month. If you do, you will have access to all members-only podcasts, an education series, the Introduction to Buddhism course, and our new Buddhist book club, as well as a private group on a non-Facebook platform. If you don't follow me or Everyday Buddhism on any social media platforms we post in, you can go to the Everyday Buddhism website and join the membership community or the Everyday Sangha. Go to www.everyday-buddhism.com and click on either the tab that says Join Members Community or Join Everyday Sangha. Or you can join through Patreon at patreon.com 
forward slash everyday Buddhism. Linking to links to joining the Everyday Sangha and membership community are posted in the show notes. Thanks to all of you who contribute. This podcast, the community, and the Sangha depend on your donations to continue to exist. I do not seek sponsors and I do not ask for financial commitments through paid podcast memberships. So my work and the costs needed to support what I do is entirely self-funded except for your donations. Please consider a one-time or continuing donation through Patreon or on my website's Donate tab. Or you could buy me a cup of coffee on the Coffee Cup link on the website. That helps too. You can find all the links in the show notes. And thanks too to all of you who write in with comments and questions. As the latest bonus member podcast illustrates, I read your emails and may even pick your question to feature in a bonus podcast. Another way you can help is to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It's important that you share the podcast with others if you find it helpful in your life. And if you could please take a minute to comment. Don't just rate, but review so people will know why you love everyday Buddhism. Well, that's all for the announcements. So until next time, keep finding ways to make yours and everyone's days better. Wow.